Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome to Jumping Bomb Audio. And welcome back to Jumping Bomb Audio, a podcast all about Joshi Pro Wrestling. I'm Aaron, and I am joined uh, by my good friend, Taylor. What's up, Taylor? Hi, Aaron. It's a it's another episode, and we still have not figured out the big mystery you raised last time of, is Hiroyu Matsumoto's outfit supposed to look like a hamburger or taco? And I have to say, I was watching some shows this week. I was watching the Oz Academy show. And Hiroyo Matsumoto was on it. And I realize now every time I see her wrestle, I'm going to think of that. Well, it's been haunting me for, I'd say, years at this point, really. And uh, my promise to you, Taylor, and to the listeners is that the next time it is permissible for me to be in Japan, I will either find Hiroyo Matsumoto at Piledriver or at a show. And I will make it my my goal in life to learn. You know, I'm studying Japanese. I'm going to make sure that I know how to ask if her if her ring uniform uniform if her ring gear is supposed to look like uh, a taco or a cheeseburger or something of that sort. Wow! I can't wait for you to learn the Japanese word for taco. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think that's come up. I assume it's probably taco. If I had to guess. Hmm. Yeah, I guess. In like um, in katakana. Uh takosu. So there's a, a su at the end. Oh well there you go. And now you've learned. See what I've I, now I've helped you learn uh Japanese. <laughs> you have. So I will uh, I'm gonna uh text my teacher after the show and be like, look, the main thing I need to learn is how do I make sure I know how to ask, is your ring gear meant to evoke a taco? And then you'll you'll be able to say ha- hamburger and taco when you order at restaurants. I've got hamburger. That was pretty easy. Yeah, but uh, you know, there's there's just some nuance in there, you know, that you might not pick up on. I was um, one thing that she wanted me to do recently was find like things that would be kind of easy to read, like to translate, you know. And so I pulled out um, a, a guidebook or whatever from uh, Tokyo Joshi Pro. From when I was uh, there. No, I wasn't in Tokyo Joshi Pro, to be clear, when I was in Japan. And so they have like these tiny little bios about each of the wrestlers, right? 
So I was like showing those to her. She's like, oh yeah, this would be easy to do. So uh, it's pretty funny to be like going through there and there's like, obviously there's a ton of kanji that I don't recognize because I don't know that many kanji. I know a few, but I don't know a ton. And I was like going through this one. I can't even remember. It was like, oh, uh, so the first one was, was it two? Now I can't remember. Both. The first kanji was for both. The second kanji was for country. And then it was skill and building. Those were the the four kanji. Anyway, it turned out to be Ryogoku Sumo Hall. But it was like, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what these words together all mean. <laughs> and then I ultimately realized it was the name of a building and not uh, not necessarily a concept. I see. Well, it's good you're it's good you're learning and you have that program to uh, help help teach you the important uh, Japanese phrases. Well, uh, I think my teachers come to the point where she's like. You know, the reason you want to learn this language is right. really to be able to read like tweets and stuff, <laughs> you know. On... The reason you want it is for this. You don't want to go and like be a translator at the no. UN. <laughs> no, I just want to be able to understand Japanese in wrestling. And so she's like, I, I, I need to be exposed to more language that's used in wrestling or kanji that are used in wrestling rather than just whatever is in the textbook, you know. Right. So, yeah, that's all. I've been learning some some fun things, so. There you go. But I will I will learn how to ask Hiroyo Matsumoto this, and I will get to the bottom of this uh, mystery. Well, in the way things are going, uh, you will have probably some uh, good amount of time to, to learn the way things are looking uh, in Japan right now. Yes. Although, and I know you're trying to do a segue, and I apologize, but as I recall, I think Hiroyo Matsumoto understands a decent bit of English, because we did have a conversation, and I think... It was pretty easy for us to understand each other, as I recall. So, uh, well, and I, I know that she has wrestled. Much. She has been to America. She's appeared for Shimmer. Sure. So, you know, I would not be surprised if she knew some some things. Yeah, I mean, they also like teach English in school in Japan, so uh, she might know a little bit of it. Hard to say, but yes, you're right. Uh, things are going poorly in Japan, it appears, and so the state of emergency in Last I checked, it was just in certain prefectures, right? I'm not sure if it's throughout the country. Correct. But it's uh, the state of emergency has been extended. And as it relates to Joshi, basically we've been seeing a lot of shows canceled. We've seen a lot of shows run without fans. Uh, But the main thing is that venues can either hold 5,000 people or 50% of the total capacity. Yeah, it was a bit confusing for me when they announced it because... They said, oh, we're extending the state of emergency, but also we're relaxing the rules so that 5,000, you know, up to 5,000 people can be in a building, which seems like the opposite of what you would do when you were extending a state of emergency. But, you know, who knows? Yeah, well, I mean, we've talked about this before, but I, I mean, I don't have a lot of particular insight on uh, on Japan as a country, but it does seem that uh, things are not being managed particularly well um, and are sometimes, which this is of course true here and I'm sure in many other countries, but a lot of times it seems to be more uh, for PR purposes than for uh, health and safety purposes. So not exactly sure what's going on, but I do know that it is affecting uh, a lot of of shows in, uh, in Japan. Um, 
I know we have the wave catch the field here, but I swear to God, we talked about that last time. Did I? Am I wrong about well, that? Well, we talked about the young. Block, oh, you're right. Which, uh, you're which right. Which is which has just started, and um, I don't know if it was announced. I put the word announced on our run sheet, but um, someone posted a picture of the back of the T-shirt. Ah, yes, uh, I saw that for for catch the wave, which had the um, regular field, which will start in June um, after the young wave. Young Block finishes up. So that's Yumioka, Yuki Miyazaki, Nagisa Nozaki, uh, Tomoko Watanabe, Kaori Yoniyama, Hibiscus Mi, Saki, Yako, Yu, Mio Momono, Rin Katakura, Miyuki Takase, Itsuki Aoki, and Haruka Umasaki. So, uh, you know, a pretty solid field. And, you know, I'm looking, uh, looking forward to it. I watched the first... Um, the, the first Young Block show today, which was a lot of fun, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But looking forward to uh, Catch the Wave. I always enjoy um, these Catch the Wave tournaments, even though, you know, they might not reach the heights of a few years ago when Wave was really hot and, you know, had a lot of great uh, native talent. But looking forward to this. We could also get a me versus you match in the tournament. <laughs> we could. <laughs> something i always look forward to uh, other big news the dragon world order taylor uh yeah new, so th- new company yeah new promotion that's going to have involvement from freedoms uh actress girls and ice ribbon and it will have its first show on july 31st so a little bit away and i'm assuming we'll get more details as they appear um, but i would assume um with this involvement with freedoms um, this, um, might be a little bit more on the hardcore side. We've seen that ice ribbon has been doing that with the Suzu stuff and some of the fantastic ice stuff. Uh, but interested to see what the actress girls involvement looks like and glad to see them, um, getting more, um, outside of their own shows because I think they've got a really great roster and the people who have sort of gone out um, from actress girls, whether it's still involved, you know, someone like Takase or, um, you know, other people, Amy Miura have really impressed. So I think having another stage for them, um, is good because I think they've got a really talented roster and they should have more places to show it off. Actress girls doing death matches is very funny to me. Like that idea is hilarious. They could dance right before, or they could dance like with light tubes. <laughs> that's true that's true the light tube it'd be more like they could hit something hit the light tubes on things to make them explode but more in like an artistic thing rather than oh like like hardcore. performance art yeah you could even put maybe colors in the light tubes sure is that possible i don't actually know i'm not really a light um, tube i mean i guess you could when you were making them but you would probably have to special order yeah uh, just to break them i mean well, I would assume they would have colored halogen lights, right? And this would work for AWG colors, would it not? There you go. Aaron <laughs> oh, just God. full of good ideas. Today. I know. See, people really should talk to me more about my ideas. They're good. Uh, Gaiaism is rescheduled for June 13th, so we're not going to have to wait a whole year again. Yes, although I feel like I don't even want to talk about this because talking about it might jinx it again and it will get rescheduled. But that is the plan, June 13th. Glad that they're able to um, get it 
quicker than they were last time. But fingers crossed, this show that feels sort of cursed, hopefully it will be able to go off finally without a hitch. I'm assuming that, you know, Sendai and Marvelous uh, probably had booking plans for after the show. So that's probably been um, a bit reconfigured because I know Marvelous is having a show coming up this week where they're sort of doing another Road to Gaiaism show. And I'm sure at this point, they just want to get to the to after the show. So, you know, whoever wins those titles in the big main event can do whatever, you know, storylines they have or tournament they have to crown a winner and things like that. So fingers crossed, it goes off third time's a charm. And in sad news, uh, Matsuyuno is retiring. Yeah, it seems to be the time uh, with a lot of retirement announcements. We talked about some last time. Um, and Matsuya Una retiring. She will have a, a retirement road in uh, Ice Ribbon, which will start in the upcoming shows. But um, personally, sad to see her go. I've liked her. You know, I've been a big fan of uh, the Joint Army stuff. So sad to see Joint Army losing um, another member here. Probably a hard time to make a living, if I had to guess, as a as a pro wrestler. So I don't know if that has anything to do with any of these retirements. I know some of them have been health-related, but certainly um, it's probably been tough for people. Yeah, certainly. I think it's probably a profession that's hard, especially in the world of Joshi, is probably already hard to begin with uh, for most people. And then you're adding on additional sort of hardships. So I'm sure it's uh, it's even more difficult than than usual. All right, well, we're going to get into uh, some shows from the last couple of weeks. Before that, I just want to make sure you're following us on Twitter at JBombAudio. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor's at Tay Mambo. You can subscribe to the show, just whatever podcast app that you use. Type in Jumping Bomb Audio, hit subscribe. You'll get these episodes as soon as they come out, which is every other Monday. Uh, if you use the Apple Podcast app, even if you don't, head over there. And give Jumping Bomb Audio a five-star rating and review, please. It'll help people find the show. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of people out there who, who watch Joshi, and maybe they don't know about the show yet. So uh, you can help let them know by doing that. Uh, and you can also, if you want to, uh, show your thanks for the show, you can head over to redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio. Give us a donation, and we would appreciate it. Okay, here is uh, the main show we're going to talk about. Uh, it's a little old now, but... Not to me, because I got delayed in getting to watch it. So it's like fresh to me, which I'm uh, excited about. But it's the Tokyo Joshi show from Korokuen Hall on May 4th, headlined by the Princess of Princess title match with Miyu Yamashita and Rika Tatsumi. Uh, Taylor, overall, what were your thoughts on the show? I should throw in, of course, that they also had English commentary for the show. Yes, they did have English commentary, which was great. I loved the show. I thought it was really good um, after it ended. I was I was really fired up and I was sort of bummed. I'm sort of jealous of you, Aaron, because I was so fired up. I'm like, ooh, I would love to record about the show right now. I did live tweet um, some thoughts about the show on our um, Jumping Bomb Audio Twitter account, um, which was which was a lot of fun. So I thought it was an excellent show. Uh, would probably have to think maybe the, the best Corican of the year, if not the best, certainly up in the sort of top tier of shows that they've done this year. Interesting. I I also liked it quite a bit. Uh, certainly, well, I don't know. I mean, yeah, the top uh, four matches were all quite good. Uh, I really loved the main event, so it certainly left me 
with the uh, with the right taste in my mouth. The I, I'm looking at the match times now, and I feel like this isn't true. The only thing I was kind of down on the show about was it felt like some of the matches hung around a little longer than they usually do in Tokyo Joshi Pro. Didn't usually you can count on Tokyo Joshi Pro matches to end uh, right at the apex, or even sometimes before, and it's like leaves you wanting a little more. And I felt like these ran a little long, but now I feel wrong about that uh, looking at the match times. Yeah, although, I mean, they were almost every, every match except for one went over 10 minutes. So maybe it was just a sort of combined, you know, fact that usually those opening matches, especially sort of in the bottom half of the card, usually are, you know, seven, eight minutes. And we're I'm seeing here like 10 minutes, 13, the Yuki Arai match went 13 minutes. So maybe it was just, uh, you know, no match was really all that long, but maybe it was just sort of a cumulative effect of all the, you know, the shortest match on the show was seven eighteen, And then the next shortest match was over 10 minutes. So, you know, maybe that contributed. Yeah. I was looking back at the previous Corican and they are all, it's like eight minutes, 10 minutes, nine minutes, 10 minutes, nine minutes before you got to like the top of the card. Even and the, that was even an international princess title match that only went nine minutes. So yeah, I guess maybe I was correct that these just went a little bit longer. Uh, but certainly by the end of the show, there was a lot of stuff uh, to really like. And I think I'll get into this as we get into uh, the the matches later. But a lot of interesting stuff on this show that also kind of corrects, in a way, some of the problems that or some of the criticisms that I've had about Tokyo Joshi Pro in the past. I feel like because of other things they've done. And now it's just, I feel like I'm just being vague about it now because I don't want to talk about it until we talk about the matches, but they found ways to kind of improve some of the very few things I didn't love about Tokyo Joshi Pro in the past. And this show did a great job of highlighting those. So uh, overall, I liked it a lot and I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, we'll start at the bottom of the card with Haruna Neko and Pom Harajuku, and they defeated Mahiro Kiru and Moka Miyamoto. Uh, palm pinned mocha with the palm de justice another great part of the english commentary was i, I know what all the moves are called because they did a great job of telling me <laughs> uh, when the finish came yeah i was also very happy with that and i actually liked it so much that in my tweet about this match i named the finishing move because i'm like oh great uh the palm de justice which looked great i thought it looked really good um, the thing I thought about this match is, you know, we've talked so much about how the in-ring stuff for uh, Tokyo Joshi has improved so much. And it sort of feels like the the top of the card or, you know, part of the roster has really started to pull away um, from the bottom half of the roster. And it feels like that gap um, talent-wise is sort of growing. I thought this match was was fine, you know, a perfectly decent opener. I didn't have any issues with it, but it just seems so clear to me now that the people who are good are now very good. And the people who still need to work are still sort of at this, you know, at the same level, the whole thing hasn't sort of risen, but they've gotten, you know, people like Akari Noah, people like, um, Suzume, Mirai, Mayumi have all improved and it just feels like the gap between the the sort of top or the you know middle up and the sort of low card wrestlers is starting to grow 
um, which I think is something interesting. Just to just that I'll be keeping my eye on sort of moving forward to see if any of these people, you know, if they can take off as well, or if we're just going to have this sort of stratified uh, talent of these are the really talented people. And here's the people who are going to open the show who are, who are not going to probably get there, if that makes sense. Um, But Aaron, what did you think? Yeah, I think that's fair. But I also think they have some people coming up who are going to uh, like Arisu Endo, for example, who's a new wrestler, but is really good already. Uh, and it certainly is going to be really good. Uh, your your Suzume's, even uh, Miramayumi, who's a little bit farther along that have, you know, worked up higher on the card, but can also be at the bottom of the card uh, and be really good. I think you're right. And I also think it's not as much of a concern now because the rest of the card has gotten so good. It, you know, it used to be, and this is what I want to talk about when we talk about the, the title match, the princess to princess title match. It used to be that there was like a lot of fun stuff underneath, but you really watched the Tokyo Joshi pro shows for the Miyu Yamashita title match. You know, that was kind of the main thing. And I think uh, we see now that so much has improved other than Yamashita to really extend these cards. Uh, but yeah, there's some folks that I, I don't know that they're ever going to get up to the level even of you know where people like Hikari Noah are. And you wonder if uh, they'll stick around or if the cards will change or or how that'll work out. But yeah, this was an example of one of those matches. Again, I will say though that... Uh, there's a little more like uh, Moka Miyamoto did like this really sick uh, ad- abdominal stretch in this match, which is like hard to make look really brutal. But I thought she did a good job of that. So, you know, certainly it's I'm not giving up on any of these people, really. Um, I mean, some more than others, but not everybody. Yeah, I'm, and I'm not giving up either. Just to be clear, I, I thought the match was, you know, perfectly fine, but. I, th- I think about someone like Haruna Neko, and you talked about, you know, Risa Endo and now Yuki Arai debuting, and it feels to me like almost that they've already passed her sort of in the pecking order. And if that's the case, you know, after X amount of time, how, you know, how long she's been wrestling and she's getting passed by these sort of people who are just starting, or it feels that way you know, sort of what the future holds for her if if she's just going to sort of be like, oh, here's an opening wrestler. You know, I think Palm is someone I could definitely see moving up. Um, you know, Mocha is still relatively young, so she's sort of, you know, she has a possibility that she could grow into um, a bigger role. But I just think, you know, I think a lot of the improvements that the company has made for the better and I don't think these are really drawbacks may leave some of these people sort of in the dust sooner, sooner rather than later. Yeah. Harna Nako is the one that I was thinking. I, I'm probably willing to give up on her <laughs> as like hoping she's really going to uh, move up the card, but otherwise, you know, uh, I'm interested to see. I mean, it almost reminds me of like, there was this long period in stardom, maybe up until not that long ago where, some of the undercard was, I mean, I wouldn't call 
watchable, but you had to be invested in it for it to be enjoyable at all. Uh, because you know the the lower card would be pretty bad, uh, and they may get to a point where it's like the the undercard is kind of eh, what it is, but everything else is is quite good. So that's you know an okay place to be. All right, next up we had uh, the Bakaretsu sisters and Hyper Misao defeating Marika Kobashi, Nao Kakuta, and Naku, and uh, Nodoka pinned Marika with the kill switch. Yeah, I thought this was a fun match. I don't have I don't have too many thoughts about it. Just sort of watched it and was like, yeah, that was good. A, a nice second card. I think this even, you know, we talked about the first uh, match, and obviously the Bakaretsu sisters are um, sort of high in the pecking order. Hyper Masao is as well, but you know, Kobashi, Kakuda, and Raku are you know sort of lower card wrestlers who I can see moving up. I mean. Not to get ahead of ourselves, but Kobashi has a title um, match coming up um, for the International Princess title. So these, so even the difference sort of between the first and the second match was pretty big. But, you know, still to me, this this was sort of the variety of like, oh, a solid, you know, opener, getting people into the show, having some people who the crowd is behind, you know, people like Hyper Masao, um, the Bakaretsu sister. So um, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I basically agree. There wasn't uh, too much to it, but it was uh, fun enough to watch. Then we got into some of the folks we were talking about earlier with Arisu Endo and Maki Ito defeating Miyu Watanabe and Yuki Arai in her debut match. Um, Ito tapped out Arai, or Arai with the Ito Deluxe. Yeah, I thought this was a really interesting match. Uh, you know, obviously I hyped... Uh, rookie debut, always something to um, look forward to. I thought Arai looked uh, fairly good. You know, there were some sort of good um, aspects and some sort of aspects where she definitely looked um, like a rookie here. I love the the kick, the axe kick I thought looked great. If you've listened to any past episodes, you know that I'm big fans of uh, kick finishers because they usually look great. I thought that looked great. And it's very clear to me based on the fact that, you know, Yuki Arai came into this company and has this sort of mini storyline already with Ito that they clearly see some sort of future uh, with her and probably relatively quickly if she's already getting in storylines with Maki Ito. Um, But yeah, so I thought overall, though, it was... Clearly, the focus was Arai, who was the debut here. And I thought there were some things that you could look and say, okay, that's something to look forward to. That's something, uh, positive aspects. And there were things like in most rookie matches, you know, 95% of rookie matches where you say, oh, yeah, this person is a rookie and, you know, they've got some things to improve on. But, you know, it's your first match and you've got time to improve on them. Yeah, I thought it was a good debut match. I loved the, you know, the in-match story with just Maki kind of kicking her ass as like this, Ido, uh, I'm sorry, this idol battle. Uh, so that was fun. But yeah, I, I think if I'm comparing the two, which I'm kind of compelled to because they're in the match together, Arisu Endo impressed me more in her debut match uh, than Yuki Arai did here. But certainly plenty for me to think like, okay, she could have something and it's worth watching develop for sure. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think Endo had um, 
sort of more solid debut. But I think Endo, as we talked about when she debuted, might have been the, I mean, certainly for me, I think the best debut that I can remember in Tokyo Joshi. So that's sort of a high bar. And I had to remind myself, because I was thinking along the same lines, but I had to remind myself, you know, that is rare, much more rare in wrestling to see, especially in the world of Joshi, to see um, a debut come in and impress so much. And you, you know, sort of have to recalibrate or I had to recalibrate my expectations to say, okay, that's sort of out of the ordinary to have such a strong debut. And this was sort of more in line with what you probably would expect um, in terms of positives and negatives. I did also want to say that I really enjoyed the English commentary. I kind of mentioned that it happened, but I thought they did a good job. And it's just nice. I don't know. I know there were, when uh, when anybody watched New Japan, which I know nobody does now, there were always people who were like, oh, I only watch the Japanese commentary. And it's like, I don't know, man. It's nice to watch wrestling where the commentators are speaking in my language and they can kind of fill in things for me and help me understand uh, what's going on sometimes if I don't know, which, you know, uh, with Token Joshi Pro, I'm pretty, pretty in the loop. So I know what's going on, but it is nice to have them um, keeping me engaged at times in matches. So I, I thought they did a heck of a job. Yeah, I did too. And I thought they, you know, I'd like, I thought they did a very good job the first time, but I thought that they were even improved this time. It was clear or seemed clear to me that they were more comfortable with the wrestlers more uncomfortable, more comfortable with the style and, you know, how to call it, you know, which is a little different than I know they do, you know, the Noah shows as well. And obviously Noah and Tokyo Joshi are very different sort of in-ring products. So I thought that they were, it was a very good showing again, but improved. And I really do hope that um, Tokyo Joshi brings them back um, and hopefully brings them back more often because I think it is, Aaron, I think you're totally right that even if maybe we don't need it, and I've listened to the English commentary both times, and I've thought it was um, very good, but even if we're people who say, oh, we don't need it because we know the backstory of X match or we know who these people are, it's it's good for bringing in you know, new fans. Even if the fans watch the English commentary once, get into the product, and then watch the Japanese commentary, you know, it's some entry portal that when you're trying to get someone into a product that already sort of has so many barriers to it, you know, it's in a different language. It takes place at a time, you know, often at these sort of strange times in terms of international people to take down any barrier you can between someone finding your product and getting invested in it is a positive for me. I agree. And, uh, you know, I, I think I mentioned this last time, but it's like they take a fun promotion and lean into the fun part of it rather than trying to make it like what I imagine Noah is like now, which is, you know, more of like sports-based or whatever, you know, what people get excited about. But they they don't like make fun of the fun stuff. They have fun with the fun stuff. And I think that's if they did nothing else correctly and they do a lot of other things well, that is like the thing you have to get right about Tokyo Joshi Pro, and they nailed that. Yeah, I totally agree that they they treat it with seriousness, but it's not treating the product as a serious product, 
but it's treating the the sort of world of Tokyo Joshi in a serious manner and not saying okay this is a ridiculous you know this is ridiculous which is something that i think um a lot of american wrestling commentators could probably learn a lot from which is you know you have to take whatever the product is and you don't have to be you know some serious buttoned up commentator but you should treat the world in which you're in as something to be respected in some way because if you don't respect it, then the people watching are going to hear you and say, well, why should I respect it? Why should I watch this if you can't even, you know, take it seriously? I agree. I certainly talk about that sometimes on other podcasts I'm on. Uh, next up, we had a Princess of Princess title, number one contendership, three-way match. And Yuka Sakazaki won, defeating Mizuki and Shoko Nakajima. Uh, she Yuka rolled up Shoko. Um, Obviously, I want to hear what you thought about the match, Taylor, but also, as I believe you watched this unspoiled, you may have even watched it live, for all I know. Uh, did this tell you anything about what you thought was going to happen in the title match? Yeah, I, I watched it live, so I was uh, totally unspoiled. And I was sort of surprised by the result. You know, you never quite know... Um, when you're watching, it was sort of like, hmm, that's it's interesting to have Yuka win the match. And you think, OK, maybe they do a rematch of her and, you know, Tatsumi. It wasn't a thing where it was so out of the realm of possibility. You know, you certainly think, oh, Yuka, that's sort of interesting. So maybe it gives Mia Miyu more of a chance in the main event. But it wasn't something where I got the result and I thought, okay, that gives away um, the main event. As to the match itself, I was sort of, you know, it was a short match and it's sort of in the middle of the card and right before the sort of ramp up with all the three title matches. So I was a little bit let down considering, you know, the talent in the match. I was expecting a little bit more. It felt a little straightforward um, to me. So I wasn't crazy about this. I didn't think it was bad, but you know, at the end, I sort of was like, Meh. wish, wish there would have been a little bit more, but I sort of understood it based on its position um, on this card. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I was uh, anxious somewhat of what your reaction would be because I was low on the match. Uh, it was fun watching, like they had this little story of like, uh, Yuka and Mizuki teaming up early on, but then Mizuki struck out on her own, which led then to Yuka teaming up with Shoko to take on Mizuki, which I thought was fun. So they had fun in here, but it's like the fun stuff happened early and then kind of the match was over. Uh, so it really didn't get to the level that I was hoping for when you put all these three in the ring together. Then we had the international princess title match with Yuki Kamafuku defending her title against Hikari Noah, and uh, Hikari Noah won. She's the new champion, and she won with the dub a double blizzard suplex, the first one off the top rope, uh, then hit another one right in the middle of the ring to get the win and, and take the title. Yeah, I thought this was a great match, but probably even more than, you know, whatever happened in the match, I just thought this is you know, a great example, maybe the best example of Tokyo Joshi's ability to build up these wrestlers, 
you know, sort of from a lower, lower card, you know, lower mid card, even into these higher positions. I think it was perfectly done. You know, we talked on the preview. I said, well, I think Akari Noah could win. And then I was sort of in the middle of his match watching. And I was like, Akari Noah really has to win this because it feels like a big deal. It feels like she should win. She's got this momentum behind her. She sort of partially established in the match that they were, or she was going to try to wrestle this new sort of more hardcore style with the chairs. Then she got hit in the face with that one chair, which um, was a moment that stuck out to me. But I think it was just a perfectly done um, build of this character. And it feels like her winning the title is a big deal. You know, she was in that tournament um, last year. I thought she could have won that tournament to win this title. She didn't at this time. Then we had all this stuff this year with the hardcore match. She had that sort of viral moment at Ueno Park of her diving off the stage so I just think it was perfectly an example of someone being perfectly built where you use things that aren't necessarily title matches. You know, you have the hardcore match, you have the match at Ueno Park to sort of slowly put the building blocks together and then you get the opportunity and then she wins and it feels all like one piece where now it feels like this is a big deal as opposed to someone who's just being sort of given title shots and then, oh, okay, here's title match number six, and she wins. Oh, great. Now she's the, you know, title holder, you know, at this point after five challenges or two challenges or whatever. It just feels like they once again have gotten this very well to move someone up at the right time and in the right way. Yeah, I mean, the other person they did this with was – Yuki, right? I mean, of like moving her up uh, at the right moment and it worked out well, which is why I was a little surprised to see Noah win because I feel like uh, Kamiyu has really shined in this role and has really like expanded what uh, what I thought she was capable of, has been doing a great job. Uh, but they also, as much as I was surprised, as kind of as you're saying, by the end of the match, it seemed like the right finish. Certainly the match was laid out perfectly to lead to that finish. Um, you had a great heat segment at the start, including kind of the chair stuff where, where she took the chair to the face. Then a great comeback from Hikari Noah. Uh, you know, just uh, uh, funny enough, considering that it included this like chair thing in the middle of the beginning, but like a classic pro wrestling match layout. And one that was set up to where basically early on in the match, I was like, huh, this is weird because it feels like this is a match now that is heading toward uh, Kamiyu losing. And I just hadn't considered that really much beforehand. Uh, and, but then by the time uh, Hikari Noah hit the, the Blizzard suplex off the top, I thought that could have been the finish. Uh, but then she slammed it again and you knew it was over. And uh, it didn't feel that surprising, but it did feel exciting. And contrary to what I said about um, some of the earlier matches, one that ended very close to the peak uh, and was done. I mean, it was executed really well. I, I hesitate to say perfectly. It wasn't like a five-star match or anything, but it was executed very well. Yeah, it was a match I really enjoyed. And, you know, you do raise a good point, which is, you know, we've seen now that Tokyo Joshi can build these people. Um, but, but now it's interesting to see, you know, Yuki loses the title and sort of what are the next steps for her 
um, because as you get sort of more people at the top or, you know, higher up in the middle to see, can you sort of keep all these people, maybe not, you know, hots, maybe not the right word, but can you keep them feeling as if they're important in this company as you build more people? And now that this is someone who doesn't have a title, you know, what are the next steps? So I'm looking forward to that. You know, I think based on what Tokyo Joshi has done so far with these people, I have a lot of faith that they'll be able to manage it. But this is sort of a new, uh, this is sort of a new step in this process, and it will be interesting to see how Tokyo Joshi handles that part of it. Yeah, because the the way that they elevated Kamiyu was really one of the most important steps in lengthening out these cards and making the promotion seem uh, better, making the talent seem better overall, because now you've got this like third from the top match on every card. That's good with Kamiyu. That's like really good. It's like a really enjoyable match. So you're exactly right. They have to make her uh, still feel important in a way. But another thing that was particularly interesting to me is that I don't know if it was early on in our show, but I, I know fairly early on, one like kind of criticism that I had about Tokyo Joshi Pro is that sometimes it's hard to get invested in the same way as other promotions or other matches because they don't always have much of a face-heel dynamic, which is true in other Joshi companies too, but it's like especially true in Tokyo Joshi Pro because of how it is presented. But here you had... Kamiyu playing pretty close to like a full on heel, like at least maybe as close as you're going to get uh, in this promotion, other than, you know, maybe in the next match. And in a way that was fun because you could see the real differences in the two characters, but also in a way that would help you like kind of want to root more for Hikari Noah, which is the point of, of wrestling. Right. So they, uh, they did that well, they continued it with the post-match angle where, you know, she wouldn't shake hands or whatever. So I'm interested to see where that goes. But it is something that adds a little more juice to Tokyo Joshi Pro cards for me. Yeah, and I think she had sort of been, we've seen aspects of that in her, in some of her other matches, you know, with uh, now Kakuda, there was sort of that, a little bit of that aspect. So it's it, it'll also be interesting to see now that it's Akari Noah, in that spot, sort of what the, you know, how they'll, how they'll work with that, what will be the sort of stories of the challengers and things like that, because there was a little bit of that heel aspect to um, some of uh, Yuki's defenses. So, which, you know, always helps get people um, get the crowd invested. So it will be there. There's, as we said, a lot of sort of questions moving forward, now that we seem to be sort of into step two of this uh, elevation project, I guess I'll call it. All right. And this led into the princess tag team title match uh, where the Neo Bishikigun, uh, Bishikigun team of Mesa Michelle and Saki-sama uh, defeated B-Star, uh, Mirai Mayumi and Suzume. Sorry, I'm, uh, still, it's been like two weeks. I'm still getting over this sickness. So I have to mute occasionally to cough. I apologize. Uh, but Mesa Michelle submitted Suzume. Yeah, and I thought uh, I thought this was a good match, but the thing that stuck out most to me was Mirai Mayumi 
who it seems like every time I come on the show, I talk about how she's improving every time, but I thought that she was excellent in this match. I thought she looked really good. And I was thinking a lot about, you know, B-Star loss, but I'm already thinking about, you know, Mayumi challenging for the Princess of Princess title. I think maybe not in the near future, but I think somewhere down the road, she's going to win it. I was imagining, you know, the match in which she takes someone head, someone's head off with that lariat, which she did in this match. Again, the lariat looked really great. Um to win that title. And she just has a, she's developing a sort of tough in ring style to me. That is really only comparable to someone like Miyamashita who has that sort of tough in ring style. There's a lot of people in this promotion who are super talented in ring. Um, you know, people like Yuka or uh, Mizuki who you know, are excellent in the ring, but aren't really seen as that sort of tough, you know, killer. And I think I, you know, based on what I've seen, based on this match, I think Mayumi will get there. Um, The offense, her offense looks really great. I thought that she was um, the best wrestler in this match, in a match where I thought everyone did very well. But I thought she stood out sort of above the the other three so a very good match but got me most excited for the future of mirai mayumi and this is another match as i mentioned where you kind of get that that dynamic i mean the i think uh sage saba and mesa michelle are like the most coded as heels in the whole promotion even though it's like in a fun way but you got that again so that was something else that really made this uh, more enjoyable for me and i agree that uh, mirai mayumi is hopefully a future champion, a future star, and maybe the person, when she's in a featured match, maybe the person I look forward to watching more than just about anybody in Tokyo Joshi Pro. Yeah, she's someone at this point who I uh, would be hard-pressed, you know, if she's in a featured match like this where I'm going, oh, will this be good? I mean, I think most of the matches she's been featured in over the last few months, I've enjoyed at least to some extent I've enjoyed. And most of them I thought have been very good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And I think all that's left then is the main event, the princess of princess title match with Miyu Yamashita defeating Rika Tatsumi, uh, winning the princess of princess title. Uh, She did so with the flying knee in an absolutely excellent match. Yeah. Excellent match. And I was thinking, you know, we really should stop previewing these, uh, title matches on this show because <laughs> it seems like every time we predict these title matches something uh we go oh rika's rika's winning rika's winning and then you know miu comes out here and really i thought it was a um not a total domination but i thought a lot of it had aspects of really a dominating performance by yamashita certainly the ending sequence with her hitting the kicks and the knees uh looked really um, really pretty brutal. And I thought it was sort of a match that told the story of, you know, sort of this inevitable force of, of Miyu Yamashita. You know, you can't, you know, you can sort of fight back, but it's coming no matter what. And that finishing sequence is sort of like, you gave it your all, but it's not good enough. Here it is, um, you know, laying out Rika, pinning her, and winning the title for the third time. 
Um, so a match that I thought the best match on the show, an excellent match, uh, really, really shouldn't be surprised in, you know, any outcome that it was an excellent match with the two of them, but really enjoyed it and thought it was a great cap on the show. What, what's your rating on the match? Just for my own curiosity. I went four and a quarter. Okay. That's where I was too. So I feel pretty good about that. Um, so, well, it's interesting, you know, you're talking about our predictions and it's like they had just convinced me and, you know, this is kudos to Tokyo Joshi Pro. They had just convinced me last time that this was not like a transitional reign for Rika Tatsumi. So I thought, oh, they're really going to establish her by beating Yamashita. That's what we talked about on the preview. Uh, it turned out, of course, that it was a more transitional reign uh, to protect, you know, some other matchups uh, for Yamashita, I suppose. But this is, well, I mean, first of all, we should say. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value a complete view of all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs. And it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. That the Rika Tatsumi title reign, short though it was, was very good. I She exceeded my expectations as uh, as champion in this reign. Uh, had however many matches it was, I enjoyed all of them. So, you know, it's really hard to 
uh, to criticize the reign at all. Do you agree about the the reign of Rika Tatsumi? Yeah, and I think, frankly, I think most of the Princess of Princess title reigns going back quite a while have been very good. I mean, Rika's was good. Yuka's was good. I mean, obviously, the last time Miyu had it, it was very good. Um, so there isn't really, you know, I think about, oh, what's the decision to change the title? But I don't think I'm ever really worried about, oh, it's going to go from X person to Y person. Is the rain going to be good, you know, in ring wise, taking out what's the story and does the story make sense? But I think that they've established a sort of upper tier of worker who really I have, you know, if Mizuki came in here and won the title, I would say, well, I would really not be surprised if that was a good title reign or Shoko Nakajima would be very, uh, I'm sure would be very good as well. Uh, Yuka winning the title title back would probably be a lot of fun. So I don't really have any fear of, oh, someone's going to win it. And I think Rika fit in nicely there with um, a number of good matches, even though the reign was not super long. Yeah, I think all that's true. But the the big difference for me with Yamashita winning it this time is, as I was saying earlier in the show, when she was champion last time, sometimes it felt like you were kind of, not all of the rest of the card, because there were always good people, you know, uh, under her, Mizuki, Yuka Sakazaki, Shoko Nakajima, especially. But her match was pretty much always the highlight of the show, her title match at the end. Uh, but she also kind of felt out of place in a way, like stylistically compared to everyone else. But I think now everyone else has gotten, not everyone else, but a lot of other people have gotten so good that she's not just like the best worker on the show by far. You know, she's they've kind of closed the closed the the gap on her, but also her difference in style, I think will now really stand out. Like what I'm trying to say is it was almost out of place before her style at the top of the card. Now I think it's like a perfect change in pace from the really good matches that are going to happen in the second, third and fourth matches from the top up to, you know, just Yamashita as the absolute uh, ass kicker at the top of the cards. I just think it's really going to make things even better in Tokyo Joshi Pro. Yeah, and I also think the last time she had the title, it certainly felt to me like, you know, you'd watch the shows, you would hear, oh, who's the challenger? And there were really only a handful of people who you ever felt could realistically win against her, just because at that point she was so far head and shoulders above the majority of the company where now it doesn't feel that way. So I'm much more looking forward to a rain. Not that I didn't like the other rain. The other rain was very good, but looking forward to a rain where really it feels like, and Tokyo Joshi has established this, that anyone can win this title at any time because they're all very good. The gap has been closed. Um, and Miyu, I still think is probably the best wrestler in the company, but it's, it is certainly by a small margin and a much smaller margin than it was, say, a year, a year and a half ago. I also, since I didn't say much about the match, I also want to say that, well, I said a little bit, just that it was excellent, but something I thought they did a great job of here, you know, no fans. When they got to that spot with the Dragon Sleeper, I thought, hmm, 
between the wrestlers, the wrestlers on the outside, and the commentary. They did a great job presentation-wise of really elevating the emotions and making it feel like a big moment, even though you didn't have fans to give you that response. I thought that was great. And if you listen uh, to my other podcast, I often criticize the way that AEW does these spots toward the end of matches where somebody catches the other person out of their finish or you know a big top rope move because I think they do it poorly a lot of times. This was the perfect example of how you do that. Now, it's a little different because obviously Rika's hip attack is kind of like she can just flail off the top. Although you could also th- say the same for Darby Allen's coffin drop and people uh, catch that in stupid ways. But Yamashita caught it perfectly, transitioned it perfectly into a uh, into a suplex and then just demolished Rika at the end of this. Uh, it was great. So I just wanted to highlight that as I often criticize about uh, how that spot is handled and I thought they did it perfectly. Yeah, and I said this last show, but I think actually for me, and maybe it's because we're sort of just recently back to these no fan shows, but I feel like some of these no fan shows, I enjoy a little bit more than fan shows because psychologically you're not seeing fans and you're not expecting sound because you say, okay, they're in an empty place. And I feel like when there are no fans, the wrestlers are energetic or loud enough that it's even more noise than you would probably get with these, you know, quote unquote, clap crowds anyway. So it feels more energetic to me. I mean, I certainly, as you said, between the English commentary and the wrestlers, didn't really at any time think to myself, oh, you know, I like the show, but oh, think how much better it would be with fans. I'm sure it would probably be an improvement with fans, but I at no point was taken out of anything saying, oh, there's no fans here. I can't believe it. I wish there were fans. And then the the big match that's set up with Miyu Yamashita versus Yuka Sakazaki for the Princess of Princess title will happen uh, June 6th at the Cyber Fight Festival 2021 show where all the big Cyber Fight promotion titles will be uh, defended. So I'm sure we'll at least, I mean, we're not going to talk about the whole car, but we'll at least talk about uh, that Princess of Princess title match, I'm sure, when it happens. Yeah, and I think based on the other title matches that are happening for the other promotions, I'm not super surprised whether this Miyu win was you know, planned out before the show was announced or what the deal was. But certainly Miyu against Yuka fits with sort of the um, pattern of the other big title matches they have with, you know, these big names. You know, you have Akiyama against Harashima for the DDT title. And so it sort of feels like they've angled these big matches towards the more well-known names. Um, now, again, whether that was the plan for the Princess of Princess title anyway to get Miu the title to set up some things happening down the line or it was more angled towards this big show, we'll see. But it's certainly once it sort of happened and I was like, OK, it's going to be Miu versus Yuka. Uh, it sort of clicked in my head that I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense based on what else is going on on this big cyber fight show. Uh, everyone else on the in the promotion will also be on that card uh, in 
I think they have three other matches on the card, including a pre-show match. So I'm sure we'll talk about all those. Okay, the other uh, main show, you know, there weren't a lot of big shows that happened. Well, there was a big stardom show, but of course, none of it's available to watch. So we can't really talk too much about that. But we also watched the Seedling show from May 12th from Shinkiba First Ring. Three-match show, uh, very quick. What did you think about the show overall? You know, I thought it was a, as you said, it was a quick show. Uh, didn't overstay its welcome. There was nothing on the show that blew me away that I was like, whoa, um, this is, you got to go out of your way to see this match. But I thought it was a fun show. And I certainly think, you know, no fans, sort of a small show that was reconfigured because they were originally supposed to have the tag title match on the show, but they knew they would have no fans. So they moved that off. But I had a lot of fun with all three matches. I thought they were all really fun. I think Seedling has done a really good job of sort of putting at least little stories throughout all their matches. So it doesn't ever really feel to me like, oh, why are we having this match? Oh, we're just having this match because we needed an extra match and here's four people who we could book. It feels like all the matches had fun stories that you could follow. So even though they weren't like, whoa, this is the best match I've ever seen, I was invested in all three matches and I enjoyed all three matches. Yeah, I think all that's fair. And the the main other thing I would say is I think seedling their wrestlers uh, have maybe been the best well you know maybe i don't know if i should give some credit to the production i don't know but all i know is that when i watch the seedling no fans shows they make them feel like there's a lot of energy in the building a lot of passion and that's i don't mean that as a uh, play on words there and a lot of i don't know you never care about not having fans because the wrestlers go so hard and get loud and uh, everything is enjoyable. Nothing is boring in a way that some things are without fans. So uh, that's just something that I've really enjoyed on all these seedling no fans shows. Yes. And I just have to make uh, one quick uh, correction to our last episode. These shows take place at Kawasaki. I think it's called Kawasaki X ring, which is. Oh, the, no, I, I said believe, that again on this show. The zero one dojo. Um, so someone. Someone said, oh, did this take place at Shinkiba? I thought it took place here, and it turns out that they were right. So huh. um, that's where it is. Well, I see that now. How did I mess that up last time? Hard to say. But it anyway. Sounds, sounds like something I would do. Well, what makes this even funnier is as I was watching this, uh, my wife was watching it, and she's like, oh, where is, like, what's going on? Why is there, like, a, a, a tanning bed? And I'm like, oh, and I... Gave her this whole thing about how it was at Shinkiba. And she's like, are you sure? Because we've been there. We went to a show there. She's like, are you sure? It doesn't really look like it. Is there another room in that building or something? I'm like, no, this is the same building, the same room, blah, blah, blah. And that turns out I'm an idiot. We should get your wife on the show as like a stat guy, like uh, from uh, <laughs> Pardon the Interruption. Sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> she could come on and do uh, do corrections. She honestly, she always has uh, very funny things to say when I'm watching Joshi. So she'd probably be better than me on this show, to be honest. So I'll, I'll try to make that happen for next episode. All right. We kicked it off with uh, Itsuki Aoki and Kaho Kobayashi defeating Honori Hana and Riko Kawahata. Uh, Itsuki pinned Honori Hana, who was doing uh, double duty on the night. Yeah, unrelated to the match, but related to the the entrances, there was a moment when 
you know, Rico and Hanori come out and do a dance to uh, starships. And obviously Rico, uh, with her background in uh, Actress Girls, is a is an excellent dancer. And Hanori is out there trying her best, giving it her best. But But I was watching this dance and I'm like, oh, this is fun. And the camera slowly moved left and cut Hanori Hana out, out of the scene and zoomed in on Rico. And I was like, oh, that's very cruel. That's very cruel of you. Um, but I thought this match was was very good. Lots of energy. Um, this really was the biggest uh, display to me of, you know, even though it was the opening match, I still thought it had a ton of energy. Uh, I was invested in all four uh, wrestlers and I, I, I really enjoyed it. Really loved Kawahata doing the flare flop and then using that to uh, trick. Oh no, it was Kaho. It was Ka- uh, Kaho Kobayashi who did the flare flop. And then I think it, I can't remember who the part, who the person she was up against at this point, but they kind of like came in and she, you know, tricked them into a, into a roll up. And it was just like, I don't know. I, then I imagined Kaho Kobayashi just like sitting around watching Ric Flair tapes. And that's a very funny thought to me. Yeah. And as I said, I think Rico has been a great addition. I mean, really between Rico Kaiju, Rico Kawahata and Honori Hana, you know, it really has been Rico. I don't know if she's officially part of the roster. I don't think she is, but I think they've really given a boost to this promotion um, throughout the card. So, you know, I hope that if Rico Kawahata is not signed, that they certainly keep her around or even sign her um, if that's possible, because I think that she's been a really strong uh, addition to pretty much every seedling show she's been on. Well, the next match was a very short one. We had Rina Yamashita, Yumiko Hota. They defeated Ayami Sasamura and Rico Kaiju. Hota tapped out Rico Kaiju. Yeah, it seemed this one was probably the most, uh, you know, part of a sort of the storyline of of Hoda against Rico Kaiju. Uh, it's going to lead to at the next show, which we'll talk about in the upcoming uh, portion to two singles matches. So I thought it was fun. It was fun to see them sort of go around the, um, the room and hit each other with various exercise uh, pieces of exercise equipment, but wasn't too long. So not too much to say about it, but overall I thought an enjoyable match. And Hota really kicked Rico Kaiju's ass in this match. That was probably the thing I took most away from it. And I had, I enjoyed it. That's all I'm saying. Uh, the main event, which uh, still, I mean, you know, a pretty normal length of, for a seedling main event, 22 minutes. We had Arisa Nakajima, Onori Hana, and Nanai Takahashi defeating Asuka, Hanako Nakamori, and Makoto. And uh, Nanai pinned Asuka, which was... Uh, a fun little way to end the match. Yeah, really a, a surprising finish because I finished, uh, I mean, because <laughs> I figured that, you know, with Hanori Hana in the match, having already wrestled early in the show and already lost, that she would probably get pinned again. Um, but certainly uh, an interesting finish that sort of builds into this uh, tag title match where the frescoes might have to disband. Certainly puts the thought in your head that that might um, happen or that might happen. I I like seeing Hanako Nakamori. It was a good change of pace. I don't know that she's my favorite 
uh, wrestler in the world, but you know, I enjoy her seeing her in seedling from time to time because I think she gives, you know, some new matchups instead of, you know, we've seen Arisa and Anai face off against Asuka and Makoto many times. So it gave it sort of that new wrinkle, which I think was fun. So overall, a match that I thought was good never really got to the second or the next gear that I thought they might get to. Um, but overall, had a had a great time, and as we said, the show was very short. I flew through it in almost no time, so you know, no complaints for me. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. But this was, you know, for me, if you're going to do nothing else, uh, go fast, hit each other hard. You know, they did that in the match, so uh, I couldn't help but enjoy it. And this match, I mean, what is that? Twenty. 28. Yeah, it's about 40 minutes of in-ring time. So if you just want to watch like some fast-paced, hard-hitting matches, uh, this is a great way probably to spend 40 minutes. So I I recommend it. Yeah, there are certainly worse ways to spend 40 minutes. I mean, so fast that, like I said, even though there was no match I was blown away by, you know, I would not be against more shows like this. Just get out there have a couple matches, get through them. And, you know, it's an hour, the full, I think video or the full time they were live streaming was only an hour and 25 minutes. So under an hour and a half of time, even if you were to watch all the, you know, after match promos and things like that. So just get in, get out and have a, have a good time. All right. Well, those are the main shows that we watched. Uh, You want to tell us Taylor about some of the other stuff that's been going on over the past couple of weeks. Yeah, so I guess we should talk a little bit about Stardom. Um, They had a few uh, shows just over a week ago. Uh, The big thing from that show was uh, the MK Sisters, Mayu Iwatani, and Starlight Kid winning the number one contender match for the Goddesses title. Uh, The big show that happened a few days ago was round two of the Cinderella tournament, um, which unfortunately, as Aaron mentioned, has none of that has come out yet. So sadly, we can't talk about what happened um, in the matches. Uh, but Sayaka Unagi defeated Shuri um, over the top rope, Himika defeating Mayu Iwatani over the top rope as well, and Micah defeating Julia over the top rope. So lots of over the top rope eliminations. The only one that was not was Sayaka Matani defeating. Starlight Kid via pin. So that gives us the final four of Saiko Nagi, Himika, Micah, and Saya Kamatani, um, which we will talk about in the upcoming section. Uh, and Mina Shirakawa defeated Ruaka to advance in the Future of Stardom tournament. They're doing a Future of Stardom tournament um, now that Saya Ida will be injured for a while. So she has uh, vacated the future of stardom title. So that is up in this small tournament that they're doing Um, on the 15th. uh, Another show that happened yesterday. So we haven't seen any of that. Uh, ALK defeated the MK sisters for their second defense of the tag titles. Uh, Fukigen challenged Natsupoi for the high speed title. So we'll see when that match is. And uh, Saika Unagi pinned Lady C to advance in the future of stardom tournament. And then from the show today, uh, the Cosmic Angels 
and Himika, Micah, and Natsupoy from Donna Del Mundo went to a 30-minute draw in the Artists of Stardom <laughs> title match. Did so, you love uh, that or, or what? Yes, a long match, and they actually had a uh, another draw, not these competitors, but they had another draw on the 515 show. So we know that Stardom, uh, we've talked about it on this show before. We've I've sort of said everything I can say about it, but, you know, this company loves to do draws. You know, I'm not opposed to a draw like this in a title match, but, you know, it takes on a little bit of a different perspective when you've already had, I don't even know at this point, probably 15 draws in 2021 alone. So, you know, it is what it is. But as we said, we haven't seen any of this. Maybe that match, um, when it makes tape, will really blow us away. Um, Who's to say? But we will see. Uh, Oz had a show. uh, Is that Unagi's first pinfall? Uh, pinfall vi- over Lady C. Yeah. Um, because she lost all her trial series matches. Yeah. She beat Natsuko in the Cinderella tournament, but I think that was over the top rope. It was. It was because I think all of Oedo Tai that lost was over the top rope. So I think that's her first uh, singles pinfall victory. Yeah, certainly singles. I don't remember who got the pinfalls in the Cosmic Angels. Um, artists of stardom matches, but those would be obviously six person matches and not singles matches. So I believe it is her first uh, pinfall victory because she also defeated Suri um, in round two of the Cinderella tournament over the top rope as well. So I think you may be right. Love to be right. Uh, Oz had a show on May 9th. Itsuki Aoki and Tsubasa Kuragaki. Uh, defeated you and Kaori Yoniyama to win the tag titles. You and Kaori Yoniyama, very short reign. They won the titles back in April and lost them. Uh, I watched that show. It was a little bit disappointing. They had the 1 million uh, yen semi main event with these sort of mixed teams. It got very crazy, and I sort of lost track of exactly what was going on. So didn't quite meet my expectations, but an interesting title change and a very quick title change. So we'll see what happens moving forward with those Oz tag titles. Um, And then Tokyo Joshi had a few other shows, one on the fifth and one on the 14th, Uh, Maki Ito and Miyu Yamashita winning the main event on the 14th show. uh, No, winning the main event on the, on the show on the 15th. And they announced that they will challenge Neo Bishiki Goon on the next Corican on June 17th for the tag title. So that is very interesting to me. Um, Aaron, I guess I'll get your opinion on this because I was thinking about this. Having Miyu in the tag title match on the next Corican, does that give away that she's losing the title at the Cyber Fight show? Hmm. That would seem weird. I, th- I mean, that is weird that she's in that. But it would seem weird to me to do a one-match title reign, or a, yeah, a no-match title reign, after you just had like a three-match title reign. <sighs> it, it also is weird to me to announce it, because it seems like it would give that away. You know, you would look at that and go, oh, well, Miu's going to be in the tag title match, and you would think you would want a... A title uh, match Princess, on your A title on your match on the top, but I guess maybe... 
they could stack the rest of the card with some good matches and, you know, maybe something like that. I know that for the cyber fight, uh, we haven't talked about the undercard matches. They do have an X um, advertised for one of the matches. So maybe that X is a very big deal. And maybe there's someone who's in the main event or something like that. Uh, but just Kyrie, a bit- Kyrie Hojo could not get cleared for stardom, but she can wrestle in Tokyo Joshi Pro. Yes, and she will debut in a 10-person match on the undercard of Cyberfight. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's on the pre-show, too. Yeah. Um, so we'll have I to mean, see. It, just, it was just something that stuck out to me when I saw the announcement. I was sort of like, hmm, that's um, that's a bit interesting. I mean, it's totally logical for Ido and Yamashita to challenge for those tag titles, um, but just sort of get, made me think. Yeah, that is it is a thinker. Uh I'll, the only thing I can think of is they probably still uh well, I mean I guess we don't know what the capacity rules are going to be like in June, but maybe they're thinking we don't need to put a title match on top to to fill the limited capacity. Yeah, that that could uh that could be it as well. You're totally right. Real uh, real stardom hours. What's the worst card we can put on that we can still sell the show out? <laughs> I also think, I don't know if it's for the Corkin, but I know they announced Marika Kobashi against Takari Noah for the International Princess title. I don't remember if they announced that for the um, June Corkin. I would assume that's where it is because usually that's where those matches happen. But, you know, that would be, you know, another title match to give that card some oomph. So I guess we'll we'll see what happens. I'm sure we'll find out a lot after the uh, big cyber fight show. In a, in a few weeks. Although that's like, what, 12 days before that Coraclin show. So I'm just saying the cyber fight show is very, yeah, that's very before. true. So, you know, we, we also might see if they start announcing things or they announce something where you go, Oh, that's a big deal. Maybe that's the, yeah. You know, maybe that's the match that is, is on top. We'll um, see. but but uh, also happening, uh, Sendai Girls had a show on the 14th. Cannon defeated Eureka Oka to become the number one contender to the Sendai Girls junior title, which is currently still being held by Meiho Shizuki. Um, Ice Ribbon had a very busy two weeks. They had the three shows in Yokohama during Golden Week. Tekla defeated Matsuyo Uno and Hibuki Hoshi to win the Triangle Ribbon title uh that's good to see i think tecla has been very very good in her title she's gotten a lot of title opportunities hadn't quite pulled it off yet but she's really impressed me so i'm glad to see her uh, get a nice win here the next day she also defended her wuw underground title which she's had for a while successfully against madeline and sakushi haruka defeated itsuki aoki who had won the peas league um she was defeated, so uh, Sakushi retained her IWQ title. Um, the fifth, May fifth, had the Suzu Suzuki June Kasai hardcore match, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And the ninth had Suzu Suzuki against Isami Kodaka in the fifth match in the seven match hardcore series, as well as Akane Fujita defeating Maya Yukihi to become the number one contender for the Fantast Ice title, and a show that just happened today, 
Sukasa Fujimoto against Mochi Miyagi for the Infinity title and Kurumi Hiragi and Hiroyo Matsumoto against Hamika Hoshi and Ibuki Hoshi for the uh, tag titles. Uh, Diana had their last show of Golden Week on the 3rd, uh, May 3rd, and they had a show today as well. Just a small uh, show. Actress Girls had a show in Yokohama at the Yokohama uh, Festival alongside Ice Ribbon, where the big event was Saki defeating uh, Misa Matsui to retain the Actress Girls title. And then uh, Wave. So they had a show on the 3rd. Itsuki Aoki and Rin Katakura defeated Konatsu and Sae to retain the Wave Tag Team titles. And then yesterday, the Catch the Wave Young Block started. Uh, the way it will work is they are having 10-minute Iron Man matches, and every fall that you score is a point. I think that's a really fun system of uh, the show. I watched the show. It was a, it was a lot of fun. Uh, a quick show. The main event did go to a 30-minute draw, so that was the only thing that was not quick uh, about the show. But I really like the idea of these Iron Man matches where a fall is a point because you can really see a lot of movement um, in terms of if you happen to get a good opponent and you score a lot of falls, you could move up very quickly. Uh, so the current standings, there's two blocks, A block and B block. Uh, Tomoko Inaba uh, is leading that block with three points after she had a clean sweep on Suzuku Sukata, uh, three to zero. So Sukata has zero points. And Amy Miura and Momokogo went to a 2-2 draw in their match. And then the B block had um, only one match yesterday. Uh, Chie Ozora won 2-1 over Sumika Yanagawa. Yappy and Waka Tsukiyama did not have matches on that day, but they will have their matches coming up. The finals are only in uh, 12 days, so this is going to be a quick turnaround. And then finally, Chaco Pro had their conclusion of their Golden Week shows through the 5th and have had some shows this weekend highlighted by Chris Brooks versus Emi Sakura uh, as Chris Brooks deals with the fallout of him leaving the Pencil Army. All right, you want to tell us what matches uh, from the past two weeks you recommend? If people just want to check out a handful of matches, what are the ones that you recommend? Yeah, so the three big ones from the Tokyo Joshi show, uh, Yuki Kamafuku and Hikari Noah, uh, Saki Saman and Meisan Michelle against Mirai Mayumi and Suzume, and Miyu Mashita against Rika Tatsumi. Those are all from the Tokyo Joshi Korokin on May 4th. Also, the other match I have to recommend um, from the past two weeks is Suzu Suzuki versus Jun Kasai from the May 5th Ice Ribbon Show. I thought this was another excellent match in Suzu's series. If you liked the Takeda match uh, from the Korokin Show, this one really right up there. I think they were very close. I went four and a half on this one as well. They really worked well with some of the restrictions of the uh, Yokohama uh, venue. And I thought it was excellent. I think after really the first two um, matches that they had in this series, which sort of felt sort of like training, like getting your feet underneath you, I think these last two matches have been excellent matches. If you're a, a big fan of either Suzu or of the hardcore style, definitely check that one out. 
I'm going to, I haven't seen the Junkasai match yet, uh, unfortunately, so I can't co-sign that. Uh, I think of the Tokyo Joshi matches, I, the tag match is a, is a third for me. So I would definitely recommend the Kamiyu Hikari Noah match and the Princess of Princess title match for sure. I'll co-sign on those. Absolutely. All right, let's talk a little bit about what's coming up over the next couple of weeks. And let's kick this off with uh, Stardom, just because we can talk a little bit about our thoughts on the Cinderella finals. Uh, We don't know uh, any matches other than, of their upcoming shows, other than on 612, they're going to have the uh, finals. Well, I guess the semifinals and final of the Cinderella tournament. We've got Unagi Sayaka versus Micah and Himeka versus Sayakamitani. Uh, Taylor, what are you expecting to go down here? Well, I would imagine that you probably, in my mind, you probably don't bring Sayaka this far to have her lose at this point. So I would say, and, you know, we always talk about these Cinderella shows trying to build sort of someone new, um, you know, last year, Natsuko Tora got to the, got to the finals and lost to Julia. So I think Sayaka might pull out the victory against Micah. And then in the other match, I just think it's so Sayaka Matani just had a title match very recently. So I'm going to go Himika on that. And I think Himika is probably going to pull out the whole thing. Um, you know, it's an interesting decision for me just because I feel like the inevitable is that it's going to be Julia beating Utami for this title. Um, that seems like the clear endpoint. So, you know, I'm not entirely sure I would have given this to Himika to have her go and maybe lose again. Although it's certainly possible maybe Himika gets a fluke win. You have Julia beat Himika, and then you still have in your pocket Julia and Utami. You know, that's certainly a possibility. But I think certainly it would it would either be Himika against Unagi Sayaka or Saya versus Micah. I don't see I don't I'm not really all that confident that they would do a Himika versus Micah match at this point. I don't know what it is, but once I saw these results, it just started to hit me that that I think Kamitani is going to win this thing. I know we talked a lot about the Donato Mundo people in our initial preview, and that still makes sense to me. But there's just something I can't shake that they aren't they haven't seemed as excited about Micah and Himeka as perhaps I am or as perhaps. I wish they were. Kavitani, obviously, someone who has already been featured in a title match. Certainly, they view her as um, a future star. And I'm not saying she isn't. But that's just what kind of strikes me here. Um, and and then the more like uncomfortable part of this, to me, is that I don't, there's like no... Not weird way to say this, but the winner of the Cinderella tournament, I feel like there's usually like an aesthetic to the winner of the Cinderella tournament. And it feels like to me, Kamitani uh, or Unagi kind of fit that aesthetic 
more than than anyone else. And I don't see Unagi winning this thing. That'd be wild. Uh, so I don't know. I'm I'm going Kamitani. I think that's where we're headed here. Interesting. Two very different. Uh, two very different ending points. I just don't. I mean. I just don't know. Saya Kamatani wins and then challenges Utami again after it just happened. That's my only pause with Kamatani is that it, it, I mean, it doesn't feel like it just happened. It really did just happen. But she doesn't have to challenge Utami. Yeah, but what, but you know, that's one of those things where it's always a possibility, but then you would say, well, why in sort of storyline, why wouldn't she? Why can't she challenge Tom? Well, because wouldn't the argument be the top title is Utami's title, and at, you know if you win the tournament, you want the top title. Um. Well, no, uh, Momo challenged for the white belt, right? Yeah, I guess that's true. Well, and um, um so did Arisa Hoshki. She she challenged for the white belt. Um, I'm trying to think back. Obviously, Julia challenged for the white belt because she won it. Yeah, I guess you could be right. It just feels to me like someone would want to win and challenge Utami now because it feels like the momentum is behind her and she seems, you know, the the, the belts have switched sort of positions in the past, but currently it feels like Utami is slightly more of a big deal than Tom is. I don't disagree with that at all. I just think you can challenge for the white belt and it's fine. But the same argument can be made that, you know, it's hard for me to imagine Kamitani then beating um, even Tom, but so it's pretty weird to have her then challenge and lose both titles. So I see the flaws in my argument, of course, but uh, it remains my argument nonetheless. (laughs) All right. Well, that's the Cinderella tournament. I think we've got another show before that even happens. So, uh, I can change my mind before the next show. We'll see what happens. Uh, we also have the Hanakimura Memorial Show coming up on May 22nd. It's going to be on Fight TV for uh, $14.99. Uh, some of the talent announced, we have Kagetsu, Asuka, Kaori Yonayama, Mika Iwata, Miyuki Takase, Mio Momono, Jungle Kiona, who I don't think will be wrestling, but simply appearing. Uh, Yuki Miyazaki, Moeka Haruhi, Hanako Nakamori, Ram Kaichao, uh, Sego Tachibana, Shotaro Ashino, Hub, and Lingiri Muto. Lingerie Muto. Well, the way you wrote it here, yeah, I just I probably I, spelled it. I don't even know that I've never seen this person wrestle in my life. I don't think. Uh, you may have. Were you at the New Orleans um, Mania? Oh, oh, it's Muna Norisawa. Okay, I know who Muna Norisawa is. Yeah. Um, I've just added myself probably as a big dummy to whoever listens to the show, but. I will also say that the show technically in Japan is on May 23rd, um, but it will be airing May 22nd at at 10 p.m. Eastern time on Fight TV. Um, It will be $15, so pretty affordable. Happy that it's on Fight TV. They'll have some uh, English commentary, Ian uh, Riccobono and Cheeseburger, or CB as he's called in uh, Ring of Honor now will be on commentary. So glad to see them putting some, you know, having it available easily on fight, uh, having the English commentary. Happy to see that that the people, anyone who really wants to watch the show will be able to easily access it wherever they are in the world, which is which is good to see. 
going to be honest, Taylor, don't know if I'm going to be able to watch this one. Probably will skip it. Yeah. And I, you know, I would not blame a lot of people, um, you know, for not watching it. Certainly for, um, you know, I totally understand, but it is available. I am glad that, you know, if there are people out there who do want to watch it, that, you know, they're not having to go through, you know, some of these sort of Japanese streaming sites, even for me, someone who's who's pretty familiar with how most of them work can sort of be confusing. So I'm just happy to see them um, putting it in a place where people can easily access it. I know that they'll be doing um, some shirts that will be going on sale uh, to raise some money. So totally understand if they're, you know, there are people out there who are not watching it, but it is available uh, and is being put together. Kind of a bummer because I would love to see Kagetsu, honestly. Uh, but we'll just, I don't know, kind of see uh, how I'm feeling when it comes comes around. Uh, but yeah, certainly available to watch. So we got that going for us. Um, I hope that there will be more, if Kyoko wants it, I hope there will be more stardom representation on this show. Kind of a bummer that it's only Jungle Kiona so far. Well, they have a show on the same day far away. So that's been a big right um, issue is that, you know, it, it it certainly appears that they won't get anyone else because I would assume that everyone else would be at the stardom show. And it certainly seems like stardom does not have any interest in moving that show, canceling. You know, they certainly could have, you know, they had the opportunity with the state of emergency to even be able to say, oh, there's a state of emergency. We're canceling the show. Uh, but it certainly seems like they're not interested in doing that, which is to me really uh, a big bummer because, you know, even if you don't have the talent on the show, um, wrestling, you know, I'm sure there are p- probably people in that locker room who would like to at least, you know, attend and be there. And it's a little bit disappointing to see that, you know, for some of them that may not be possible because they will be uh, wrestling somewhere else. I will simply say, for all the stardom wrestlers who listen to this podcast, uh, one of Hana's last acts was basically refusing to work a show because it was unsafe uh, when COVID first broke out. So I'm just saying, there's a uh, a model there for for you to for you to follow. Um, but you know, obviously, people have to work. I don't blame anybody for whatever they do. But it is like. The best way to say it is it's just fucked up that they are doing this show far away. And apparently it feels to me, I don't know the inside. It feels to me they are making it specifically difficult uh, for and, you know, not letting people go to this show. So I'm just bummed out by that. That's all. Yeah, it certainly seems, you know, I'm sure there's more to the story, but just optics wise, at first glance, it's not a thing that that looks great. And it seems like a thing that could be, you know, easily rectified, but you're totally right. There may be things that we're not aware of, or we don't know. So we can't say, but just from the outside looking in, that's, you know, the way it looks is a, is a bit of a bummer. All right. Well, what else is going on over the next couple of weeks, Taylor? So Seedling has a show on the 26th. This will have the tag title match between Arisa Nakajima and Nanai Takahashi against 
uh, Asuka and Makoto. And if the Frescas lose, they must disband. They also added two singles matches based on that tag match from the 12 show, Rina Yamashita against Ayame Sasamura and Yumika Hoda against Riko Kaiju. So that should be a fun show. Oz very quickly, uh, quicker than usual, has a show on the 23rd, uh, which will be highlighted by an open weight title match. Sonoko Kado uh, will take on Kakaru Sekiguchi. That should be a fun match to uh, styles that should mesh very well. Uh, Tokyo Joshi has their fourth pay-per-view show coming up on the 28th, which will feature uh, two 11-member teams going against each other in singles matches. The winning team uh, will get, as is a usual prize for some of these Tokyo Joshi shows, will get a gift certificate for the Genghis Khan restaurant. And the teams are being split by birthday month. So it will be birthdays from March to August against birthdays from September to February. Those pay-per-views are usually a lot of fun, um, very much in the style of some of the shows they did earlier in the uh, quarantine period. So that should be a show to look forward to. Uh, Ice Ribbon, still a a lot of shows coming up on the 19th. They have a a Peas Party where they will be doing a Peas Party IWGQ number one contender tournament. They'll be doing the first four matches of that tournament and they have eight participants. They will be, the matches will be drawn by Lotto on the day of the show. Matsuya Uno, Totoro Satsuki, uh, Tekla, Momo Kogo, Bani Okawa, Yappi, Madeline, and now Ishikawa. The first round will be 10-minute matches. If there's a draw, uh, the less experienced wrestler will advance in the tournament. And then starting in the semifinals, draws will be decided by online votes. And there is, of course, as in all IWGQ matches, a 19 count on the floor. So that will determine the next challenger for the IWGQ uh, title. Uh, on the 22nd, Risa Sara versus Akane Fujita for the Fantast Ice title, which will be hardcore rules. Uh, on the 23rd, the winner, uh, whoever emerged victorious today from the Infinity title match, will take on Totoro Satsuki. And then on the 30th, Suzu Suzuki will have her sixth match in her hardcore series against Abdullah Kobayashi. And the winner from the May 23rd show will take on Tehanma for the Infinity title. So a lot going on, a lot of title matches in Ice Ribbon. Actress Girls has a show coming up on the 20th, which is going to be celebrating Tehanma's sixth anniversary. Um, and then Wave has three shows coming up, the 18th, the 25th, and the 28th. They will all be the young, the Catch the Wave Young Block shows. And then the championship match between the winner of the A Block and the B Block will be on the May 28th show. So that's a quick turnaround. And then the uh, sort of traditional Catch the Wave will start in June. And then Choco Pro just has a handful of shows coming up, the 22nd, 23rd, 27th, and on May 30th. So that is everything that is coming up. All right. Well, have we covered everything, Taylor? I think we got it all. <laughs> Beautiful. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at JBombAudio. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor's at Tay Mambo. 
Uh, subscribe to the show. Give us a five-star rating interview on the Apple Podcast app. And remember, you can donate to the show at redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio. Uh, I think that's it, but we'll be back in two weeks uh, to talk more about Joshi. So until then, see ya. Bye-bye.